The following interview was recorded on November 17, 2009 at the Florida Charter School Conference. I'm here with educational consultant Mike McHugh, and we're talking about best practices in charter school authorizing and sponsorship. Thank you, James. Uh, our presentation uh, was, was uh, addressed at uh, school district uh, personnel involved in your authorizing process for charter schools. And we basically focus on three main topics. Number one, what are the benefits to school districts uh, in having high quality charter authorizing processes in place for their districts? Uh, conversely, what are the, the problems associated with not having high quality authorizing processes in place? And then finally, the third piece was having established that there are benefits and, and, and problems associated with either of those practices, what does a high-quality authorizing process look like and what are the key elements of a high-quality authorizing process? So on topic one, uh, the benefits of having a high-quality authorizing process in place for your school district, there are several of those. Number one, a high-quality authorizing process definitely contributes to having higher quality applications submitted to your school district and we'll talk about the, you know about why that is a little more when we get into the uh, the what the elements are of a of a of a, uh, of a of a strong authorizing practice. Uh, number two, strong authorizing procedures lead you to a high level of confidence that those charters that you do approve based on your procedures are going to have a high prob probability of being successful and being able to be sustained as successful school operations in your school district. Uh, number three, the uh, authorizing process is the beginning of a relationship between a school district and its charter applicants. And that relationship can, can sometimes be as short as 60 days if it has to be an application that isn't approved by your school district and the only association you have with these folks is the process of reviewing their application. But in cases where you approve an applicant to operate a charter school, you're talking about beginning a three, five, 10, or even 15 year uh, a relationship with these folks. It is really important to get that relationship off to a good start that's mutually respectful between a school district and a charter school operator. Uh, number four, having a good process in place establishes that good relationship, increases the trust level between the two parties, and increases the likelihood that if an applicant submits an application and isn't quite up to par for this particular application cycle, that you can work with them and counsel them into possibly withdrawing the application, spending more time on it, and resubmitting it in, in future years. But there has to be a certain trust level built up for those, for those kind of conversations to occur. Finally, uh, a very uh, a practical, pragmatic uh, uh, positive thing about having high quality authorizing procedures, if you do deny an application and you have to defend that, that the denial of that application on appeal to either to the Charter School Appeals Commission and the State Board of Education, you're certainly in a much stronger position to defend that uh, denial if you have strong and consistent authorizing processes in place. Now, topic two is the converse of topic number one. What happens to you, or what are the what are the problems associated uh, with not having a good a good transparent, clear charter authorizing process in place? And as might be expected, they're kind of the mirror image of what we just talked about in in, in topic number one. If you don't have clear and transparent authorizing process in place, it does not lead to applicants submitting high quality applications 
to you because often they don't understand what, what the components of a, of, a, of a strong application is. It also doesn't really increase your confidence level if you do approve an application that the resulting charter school is in fact going to be successful and going to be able to be sustained in your school district. I think it's so helpful to think about it as the beginning of a relationship rather than just a procedure that's in place for applicants. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, a poor quality authorizing process tends to breed negative relationships and distrust between the school district and the applicants because, again, they don't feel like there's been a fair and consistent process for the consideration of their application, and that does not necessarily lead to a positive uh, situation between the, between the, uh, the, you know, the sponsoring school district and, and the applicant. And if you do without that trustful uh, and respectful uh, relationship, it's difficult to have those conversations if an applicant application isn't quite up to snuff. This this go around that hey, you might want to submit that, and you know withdraw it and come back at a later time. You're more than likely if you haven't had a good process and a good relationship in place to have the response. No, I want my day in court. We're going to proceed forward with this application. And again, very pragmatically, a uh, a poor. Uh, or, uh, if you don't have a good quality application process in place, it makes it much more difficult for the district sponsor to defend its decision to deny an application if you do end up in an appeal before the Charter School Appeals Commission and the, uh, and the uh, State Board of Education. And having served a two-year term on a Charter School Appeals Commission, I'm very familiar with that process. And I have seen firsthand the results of good and poor authorizing practices and the effect that has on the appeals process. That appeals process, it goes to the Charter School Appeals Commission and then they make a recommendation? To the State Board of Education, that is correct. Now, usually the State Board of Education accepts a recommendation of the Charter School Appeals uh, Commission, but occasionally they will, they will go off on their own path and that's okay too. But uh, again, a district's ability to successfully defend its denial of an application is very, very contingent on the quality of their application process. In fact, probably one of the most consistent complaints that, uh, as uh, when I sat on the Appeals Commission for two years, one of the most consistent complaints we heard from applicants who brought appeals forward was, I didn't know what the district wanted. I didn't understand their application process. It wasn't clearly explained to me. I didn't know what the rules were. And those are the kind of complaints that lead people into adversarial situations. So having said all this, what does a high-quality application process look like? Uh, they don't. They aren't identical necessarily from district to district in terms of each step occurs on this day at this time between these people. But my experience has been that there are key components that have to be in place in order to have an effective authorizing practice. The first, and probably most important, is you. It's critical that you have a very detailed and specific orientation and training program for your applicants that that in, that incorporates several things number one it's critical that you clearly explain what your process is and what the timelines are for your process it's critical that you walk applicants through the application template itself and make it clear to them the information is required in each section of the template. There's, I think, 19 areas in the template that they have to respond to and provide, and provide information to the sponsor. And it's also important that they understand how their application is going to be evaluated. So in our process, when I worked for the Sarasota School District, uh, we actually walked them through the evaluation rubric 
that the evaluators use to say, all right, in this section, here are the key elements that the evaluator is, uh, is looking for and is looking to find. And that helps them understand the criteria by which their application is going to be uh, evaluated. It's also important to go through at that time any legislative changes that might have occurred. There have been several that occurred during the past legislative session that impact the application process and what's expected of, uh, of applicants. And important, it's important that they're updated and they're, and they're, and they're very clear on that. It is important that they also provide at least a min I believe at least a minimum level of technical assistance. That doesn't mean you write your application for them, but you at least need to let them know where they can get assistance. In Sarasota, for example, we when we had our orientation meeting, we would have all the district staff there that could assist them, the curriculum people, the finance people, the human resources folks, the special ed folks, with phone numbers and cards so they knew if they had a question on a particular part of the application, here's a person they can contact. Also provided with access to who they can contact outside the school district, State Department of Education, Florida Consortium of Charter Schools, uh, Just Read Florida office. There are, there are uh, you know, a, a myriad of resources out there to help, help applicants prepare good applications. And I think it's an orientation, for a good orientation program makes applicants aware of where those resources are. The second phase of the authorizing, pro the key element of the authorizing process, I believe, is a very comprehensive review of each application by a team of district people with expertise in all areas covered by the application. Uh, so everyone looks at the entire application, but then each member of your evaluation team has a key area. The special ed person, for example, will look at the ESE section. The finance people will look at the budget and finance section. And once the complete, once the comprehensive evaluation, once every member of the committee has reviewed the entire application, the team gets together and goes through and comes to consensus. And during those meetings, the people in each of the key areas lead a discussion in their respective areas. The ESE person will lead a discussion on this in the ESE part of the application. Budget people will lead a discussion on that area. And you try to come up with a consensus score or consensus uh, rated by your team. Uh, third step of the process is a is a is a what we call a capacity interview with the applicant group, where you bring in the governing board members, if they've identified your school principal at that point, and then any other personnel associated with the application, and walk them through it for a couple purposes to be sure that the, the, the that the organizing group, the applicant group, has the capacity to open and operate this, the school. Uh, in the world of charter school today, you can go out and buy a nice application. You can hire a consultant, you can hire a management company to prepare an application for you, but at the end of the day, the group that has to operate that school and is responsible for the fiscal and academic performance of that school is the applicant group, the governing board of the school, and they need to be able to articulate the mission and what that school is going to look like to your, to your uh, interview team. It's also important that you ascertain that, in fact, the decision-making body of the school is the governing board of the school. By statute, that's required. It can't be the management company. They can hire a management company, but the, the decision-making body of the school has to be the, the governing board of the school. And finally, the capacity interview gives you the opportunity to clarify or get information on any questions or concerns that team members had that came up through the application or review process. Then essentially, once you've done your capacity review, you get your team back together, you 
incorporate the capacity interview information into your overall rating of the application. You forward uh, the application ratings to your superintendent and or your school board for action, recommending either approval or denial of the application. If an application is approved, you start down, you, the, the road splits at that point, and you start down the, the fork of the road related to negotiating a contract. If the applications are uh, denied, you take the other fork in the road and you provide the applicant with specific, with, with, with written and specific good cause reason why the application was denied and notify them very specifically of what their rights to appeal are and the timelines for that. Is there an appeal process at the district level before they go to the state board of appeals? Uh, no, there really isn't. They, I mean, they can at the meeting where the school board makes its recommendation for approval or denial, the charter group can certainly come and speak to the board, as any citizen could come and speak to the board at that meeting to kind of make one you know final plea for their case uh, for their school, because obviously the school board is a final decision-making group on that decision. But uh, there's no there's no necessarily uh, uh, appeals process at the district level prior to moving to the appeals commission. At the capacity interview, is the governing board able to bring in uh, consultants and? Yes, they can bring in. Uh, usually, there's a there's a number of people that, you know that, that they will bring in with them, and they can certainly if they're going to use a management company or consult, they can usually bring them in. I've conducted many capacity interviews over the years for both the school district and as a private consultant. And, uh, you know, we always, you know, preface the beginning of the capacity interviews is that we're going to direct the question at the governing board chair and his board members, but certainly if you need some assistance with, uh, with, with, with pieces or responding to some of the questions, it's fine to involve other people. Now, I've had situations where after about five minutes, the only person answering questions is a consultant or, or, the, or the management company. At that point, I, I, I usually have to... Uh, to uh, to redirect the group back to the point I originally made, we do want to hear from the governing board of the school because, again, at the end of the day, you are the group that by statute is responsible for the oversight, supervision of the academic and physical performance of this school. That's where the buck stops. That's where the buck stops with you. You're the governing board, and you can't abdicate that responsibility to somebody else. You mentioned that you served on the, the uh, state appeals board for charter schools and then also that you were a consultant for Sarasota. I've done consulting work for Sarasota. I also worked, uh, I was retired all of three days, and I got a call from the newly formed uh, Florida School of Excellence uh, Commission, which was recently authorized by the state to approve charter schools outside of, without schools having to go through the school district. And they were anticipating half a dozen applications, they got 50. Uh, so they called me and said, would you be willing to come and organize our application review process for us? So I actually did that for two years. I did that for two cycles of applications for the Schools of Excellence Commission. I've also done charter application reviews for the National Association of Charter School Authorizers. I've worked for them in the state of Louisiana on three different occasions and conducted application reviews for the state of Louisiana. So I've probably evaluated, I've been involved in evaluation of over 150 charter applications in the last five, six years. With uh, Sarasota County, were you also involved with charter schools there? Yes, I was the uh, the district contact. I had, I was, my title was direct, uh, Executive Director of Pupil Support Services, and I, uh, my responsibilities included special education, student services, health services, and charter schools. How charter schools got thrown into the mix, I'm not exactly sure, but I did thoroughly enjoy my work with the charter schools my last uh, seven or eight years with the school district. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Thank you, James.
This podcast is a production of the Florida Department of Education and Florida on iTunes U. For more information, please visit floridaitunes.org.